0: Hi, I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and your host of Homeroom, an international podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to figure out why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Kirsten, an award-winning filmmaker and college professor for more than 20 years, about the importance of connecting with your creative voice. We talk about time and history and the birthplace of the patriarchy, discuss how mark-making connects us with our oldest ancestors, and how the Creative School for Integration she founded with her husband can help guide us back to our own source of intuition. Here is our edited conversation. So, I've felt my entire life that I was different or that I was stupid um, or that I didn't meet um, society's expectations of how I should be thinking or speaking or interacting with the world. Um, And... I just always thought it was a me thing, like there was just something wrong with me, I was built wrong. Uh, And so it was a very like alienating, feeling very alone, um, and not feeling like I can talk about this with anybody else because I didn't think anybody could understand it. Um, But then realizing that actually there's a community of people that there are other people who experience life the way that I do amazing. and think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it feels like, um, it feels lovely to feel like I'm participating in society again as, as someone who is not just this unique, weird, strange person, but that there are other people who are like me. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's beautifully described. And I'm thrilled for you. I'm thrilled that it's like you found your, your tribe, uh, you found yeah. your community, but I also wanna stress, and maybe it's because we had the blessing of meeting you know, at an art institution. I also wanna right. stress uh, your brilliance and your work Uh, And I think, well, this, my experience is we're all born with something that gives us a special lens. I think it's part of the human experience. Uh, I had a dysgraphia um, most of my life. it started to self-correct in graduate school. And Mm. that was quite a relief for me. Kind of like what you're saying is it was a relief to finally have like a a name for it and be able to acknowledge it. And I think Mm. when we acknowledge what I'll call, some people will call them challenges, but we could call them opportunities you know, an opportunity Mm -hmm. to have this unique lens. So being able to acknowledge the unique lens as unique as opposed to uh, society might call it something else, you know, Mm. these are not hindrances. They're a unique ability uh, to see. And though my dysgraphia is probably mostly corrected. I Hmm. learned (laughs) last year that I would be considered in a category of an an HSP.
0: Uh, Yes, I'm an HSP too.
1: (laughs) And then it got, it's been a little buzzy right now. And then some people are like, I don't like that. Or, you know, that's, but it's been really helpful for me Um, Mm -hmm. it's been really helpful for me to know there's other people out there that just feel everything all the time Yeah, and that I'm not alone, you know, um, that I'm not straight, you know, I'm not, uh, there are people who feel everything all the time and for (laughs) someone like us, and maybe this is part of the autistic experience for you, uh, we have to be very mindful. It's kind of like tuning a radio, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes by the hour (laughs) uh, Mm. what we want to tune in, um, what's nourishing to let in and what we have to say no thank you to. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of us end up in the creative arts or creative endeavors because of these unique lenses. And uh, that does kind of lead me to the Creative School for Integration. So the Creative School for Integration was just founded this past winter, but officially, but it's been in me um, forever. I remember, you know, Mm -hmm. making projects for my younger brother and sister uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and trying to find a way, you know, meaning growing up, like when we were like in grade school, uh, trying to find a way to create community where everyone could show up as is and create a vessel that is free of judgment, Mm -hmm. which is probably one of our greatest challenges as humans at this point in our human history. You know, I wonder, because I've been thinking a lot about pre-language because we made marks in caves (laughs) before we formed specific types of spoken language. And so where I'm going with this, when people were imprinting their hands on cave walls, making marks about the animals that were feeding them, you know, the sac- I see that as the, the sacrifice of the food, you know, the nourishment. And I would love to believe And I feel in my heart that when folks were making marks on the caves, they were free of judgment. And they were just creative in the way that they needed to be creative that moment. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. Mm, There's some more language. There's a lot of challenge and opportunity in this day and age to make our mark yeah free a judgment that's really what i serve those are the that's the type of community i'm my my partner my husband and i are trying to build in the creative school for integration first and foremost is down-regulating the nervous system through breath and what we like to call wake uh, wakeful rest, uh, different types of breath, uh, different types of yoga nidra, anything that kind of allows that very chatty, self-judgmental part of the mind to take a rest or I just read something beautiful yesterday. I'm reading a book called um, Cassandra Speaks about the Greek goddess who um, always could feel the truth, but no one ever believed her. So the book Cassandra Speaks is written by a woman, um, Elizabeth Lesser, and she is a co-founder of the Omega Institute in New York State, here in the United States. She does such a wise and brilliant job of saying, uh, what happens if men and women jointly and equally are sharing the stories of this world? I'm looking at my notes to make sure I get it correctly. Our humanness, our human beings on this planet. Okay, so our history, our written history is 5,000 years old, but our humanness on this planet is over 200,000 years. So what was going on before we started recording history? And it appears, (laughs) that the majority of our written history was coming into form when the patriarchal constructs and concepts were also coming into form. So I like to believe that through mark making in a community who's making the intention to be free of judgment and in a community willing to explore exercises to down-regulate the nervous system, that that community is gonna tap into our humanness that goes so much deeper than our written recorded history. So that's Mm -hmm. been really huge. And I always feel it's very important to say, I've been married to a man. For over thirty years, I gave birth to a man, to us, you know, to my son. This conversation is not about men versus women. It's about how do we get right. past how do we get past the bullshit of patriarchal concepts,
0: right? Because it's not yeah. only the men who are upholding the patriarchy; it's yeah. also women yeah. too.
1: And right. so, Eliz- uh, so, Elizabeth Lesser's book is really, really helpful for women, too, to help identify how you might unconsciously be participating. A lot of conversations I have with folks, um, including the WINGS women who you've met, the WINGS women Mm -hmm. that collaborated on a very large film project with me and other women. You know, whose table we would talk about, whose table do you really want to sit at? You know, we're not doing all this work to get to a table that we were told we've been edited out of or get Mm -hmm. to sit at a table that's been deemed where the success is. You know, we need to set our Mm -hmm. own table. (laughs) And sit down and decide what that is together. I'm actually remembering a cute memory. Do you remember? Oh no! When I asked, I think I know. What you I were asked you say. guys to journal to do um, like a stream of conscious That's writing, right? And you and and some of your cohort were very resistant, <laughs> but I, very, I rolled my yeah, eyes. Very, but open minded, knowing that. Well, Kirsten's probably asking us to do this for a reason. And then I remember the delight and surprise. We did it for like 12 minutes and you were like, wow. Like you were very open. You were like, I am very resistant to this. And, um, but I really just discovered something about my project I'm working on. So Creative School for Integration's kind of like that. Um, You've already had the experience. So, we begin with rest and digest and the idea is to introduce folks to the opposite the other side of continuum the the holding of the the tension of the opposites of flight and fight which is what we're really tr- how we're really trained to operate during our day and then in in between the meetings everyone's encouraged to work in their sketchbook journal for a minimum of 12 minutes a day. So we make this really doable and we call it just interrupting your day with something nourishing. In the second week of the program, we move into the energy of compassion. And then by the third week, we work with the energy of the word unclench. Mm. which has been a personal journey of mine and I think one of the reasons it came into our curriculum after we unclench <laughs> the following week we move into the energy of play mm. the week after that remember which remember can be so many different types of things mm. And then the week that follows after remember is wisdom. And just Mm. really, really acknowledging, again, like this unique cellular body wisdom that we all have. And then in the final week, we conclude by returning to rest and digest. Mm. Trying to incorporate this into... um, you know, our daily, our daily lives. I've had different mentors that consider rest and digest to be a radical act.
0: At least, yes, in this day and age, yeah. it's absolutely yeah. a radical act.
1: It's, it's a radical act. So we begin with rest and digest because we're down-regulating our nervous system so we can access our full beingness. And that's going to ultimately take us to the last week is, a, is, is our our unique wisdom that lives in our body. It lives in our body and it lives in our connection to everything that we do. The compassion week is because just having even the most subtle of compassionate moments, just for our little daily flubs that culture and society has taught us to beat on ourselves for. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was just amazed in our pilot cohort when we got to the compassion week. It was almost like people were like, I had no idea I loved myself so much. Mm. I I didn't know because I haven't had a chance to slow down and just feel my own compassion for my own self. So that's what mm. that, you know. So a lot of this just comes from the work I have cherished over the years and what felt like it would be most helpful to offer. Uh, the unclench actually really started because we all hold so much tension in our jaws. Mm hmm. And we actually, in the creative school, are doing exercises to release this. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. the eye exercise I was sharing with you. When we release the tension in our face, the rest of our body follows along. And I mean the rest of the body. I mean that sincerely. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are all things that allow the marks to flow And when I say marks, I mean anything analog. Some people will start with dots and strokes and suddenly they're writing poetry. Or some people will start making spirals or circles and suddenly they're remembering a memory when they were four and they touched a tree, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Play, we don't play enough. We just, we don't play enough. Uh, we need yeah. to play to kind of refresh and reset. And remembering is so, the, the remember category or phase or energy, it could be a precious memory from when we were young. It could be from the inner creative child. It could be an ancestral piece of wisdom that needs to be anchored it can be a memory of, you know, putting your feet at the shoreline and just remembering the way the light sparkled on the water. These are the things that nourish us on the daily that mm-hmm. allow us this radical shift in our perception so that we're not accidentally falling back into the constructs of the patriarchy. Right? Yep. And then um, the wisdom phase is really a celebration of everything mm. that's been uh, uncovered, you know, during the 40 day practice. And the way it actually works out is usually we end up with like 43 or 44 days <laughs> just to make the scheduling mm. work. And we really like that too, because this is not about perfection. It's well, what is perfection yeah. <laughs> if oh, you miss a day here? It's a jail, right? If you miss a day or two, number one, we're in this practice to release judgment. So that's cool. That's an opportunity. And number two, there's these couple extra days, you know, that you can always um, still have your 40 day practice. But those 40 days is such a great way um, to anchor just something new that you want to bring to your life. There's something about that 40 yeah. day time period that's just got some magic attached to yeah. it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking about this, like I've just been thinking, um, you know, I'm going through this midlife awakening and I'm realizing. So for a very long time, I knew that I wanted my own school. And um, I think even in my uh, personal statement to um, you know, applying for grad school, I think I wrote that I want to start a school. But it, it really, it's, it's been a really long time since I wanted my own school. But I'm realizing why um, now, and it's because you know I had I'd spent my entire life feeling like I needed to squeeze into a very specific container, um, and I think in autism we kind of call it masking, right? But I'm realizing now um, that my entire education journey it was not designed for people like me, and I think the film that I worked on at school. Uh, with you I think I was just hitting like the surface with that concept yeah. in homework but I'm realizing now that it's beyond culture it's beyond everything it's beyond it's it's really to our hardwiring, um, and I want to make compulsory education more inclusive so that No other child who thinks in patterns and images and sees video clips, you know, are told that they have to change who they are. Um, And so I feel finally like I know what my calling is. And I'm wondering, was there a moment for you where you felt compelled or called to create this own school outside of, you know, uh, being a professor, um, and having already been in academia for 30 years? Why were you called to do this?
1: Well, I love what you're saying because you're talking about showing up as is embracing who you actually are, and knowing that that, there's a beautiful uniqueness to your experience and how you share that with others, how you share it with your own heart and how you share it outwardly. Because I I have always seen you as an educator. Uh, When you were a student, it was more like having a colleague than a student. I mean, you're just an amazing person. and I so appreciated the work you did as a graduate student, and you just—you were so present to your work, and you were—you created an amazing space for your crew and your actors, and uh, mm. and so my guidance was to create space, you know, but it's not really me. It's like or it's like I'm serving the space that already knows what it is. Uh, but to hold that space, you know, here in this physicalness, whether it be on a Zoom, in a, in a room, in a classroom. But I, I first and foremost uh, serve a space where we can explore. Whoever chooses to step into that space is there to explore empathetic witnessing. Hmm. There's a reason why we we show up in spaces together. There's a reason we all end up in a room together. And we have to be present because depending on our lineage, people have all different ancestral and lineage, Uh, inheritance. (laughs) How that shows up in the third dimension and the lives that we lead in these bodies is incredibly imbalanced on this, you know, in, in our culture, in our society, on this earth right now. And we need to show up in spaces together and bear witness to that all the different experiences in the room. We need to learn what we were hopefully taught in kindergarten, if you have something that's precious, how are you going to share that with someone else who for any particular circumstances may not have access to that in this moment? you know so these are the bigger conversations where um race and opportunity intersect where constructs on gender you know um intersect with opportunity so i'm a very light-skinned woman (laughs) you know my lineage is mostly european and uh i want to serve how do we create these spaces how do we show up in them and once we're there together how do we investigate how we all ended up there in this space to have Mm. the conversation of the moment how do Mm. we bear witness to each other and can we place make the intention to place our attention (laughs) on noticing the judgments so that we can say, I see you, I hear you, I feel you Mm -hmm. seeping in, I'm letting you know, if you need to be the dog barking down the road, go ahead and do that. But I'm making the intention to stay in my heart as I listen to someone who's had a completely different experience than I've had. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. making the intention to put my full attention on that person Mm. in a way that I hope with the best of all my being, I'm not judging. Mm. This is the work, you know? So that's what I meant to say earlier in Elizabeth Lesser's book on Cassandra Speaks talks about when you're on the airplane and suddenly you're above the clouds that may have had a thunderstorm. And the thunderstorm Mm. is still there, but your altitude is in a different place. Mm -hmm. And the thunderstorm didn't go away, but your attention is in a different place. So Mm. if we can be aware of how the judging seeps in and have Mm -hmm. compassion for ourselves that we inherited it. Not that we're not responsible for how we work with it and hopefully release it, because we inherited it doesn't mean we're not responsible for how it seeps into us, but to have compassion That we were born into it, have Mm -hmm. compassion for ourselves, how it's bitten us in the ass, or how it maybe made us be an asshole at different times in our life. Mm. We can have compassion for that and move on. You know?
0: Yeah. And it's kind of like how you're saying earlier about holding the opposites, right? The tension of the two opposites. Like you that both are true but you could still have compassion for all of those things yes. and
1: you know the the yin and yang sign with its mm-hmm. was swirling together if you really tap into that it is not separate parts coming together those are two parts of a whole mm-hmm. you know that is the the continuum that is the tension of the opposites And it is a wisdom that runs so deep, so much more deep than this past 5,000 years of how we're supposed to think, or how we're supposed to Mm. perceive, Mm. how we're supposed to live in these human bodies. Uh, You know, and I, when I'm, when I'm about to say, I mean so sincerely, like if you, just not sure what to do with any of this. Put your feet in a body of water or go hug a tree. (laughs) You know, this water that makes us up is the water of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. It's the same water that touched down to the earth and is evaporated a million times over. And all of that is in us. And it brings incredible wisdom. It also brings a lot of shit we have to deal with. that gets passed down the family lines. And so my ancestors gave me great gifts. My ancestors also have maybe, you know, I'm speaking from my own experience, left a lot of trauma <laughs> to be dealt
0: with. I love that you're doing the school with your husband and, um, your life partner. And I'm wondering how that's going. Um, is he completely in line with your vision and with your vision? Yeah. Are there certain challenges? Um, are there certain creative differences? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering how that dynamic plays out.
1: Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about it is well, we met in art school, over 30 years ago. And it's a pretty amazing thing to begin a relationship with someone where you're both kind of living the dream. You know, we were painting and Mm -hmm. he he does a lot of printmaking. And then to try to take that out into the real world was really devastating. Uh,
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, for many years, we really started to feel very separated from our creative practice. So living through that and, you know, for my husband, sometimes going years without touching a paintbrush
0: was mm. really,
1: really challenging. Uh,
0: for him or for you for, or both. for
1: both? Yeah, for both. And there's many, many reasons why he you know, he was just busy taking care of his family. Uh, mm-hmm. We all need to deal with this financial stuff <laughs> of this culture that we live in, and um, we knew we wanted to start this school, but then suddenly we, you know, we couldn't not start it. Like suddenly it was like, mm. it just needs to happen. And I think it was our experience of almost feeling like we had to fight to stay in our creative practice. And what mm. if you don't have to fight? What if there's a community to support you? What if there's a mm. vessel? What if there's folks who want to reconnect to what's already inside of them? So I think we had that, what I'll call a pretty harsh experience of feeling so separate from it, um, Mm -hmm. allowed us to understand if we're feeling it, we're not the only ones. Someone, Someone needs to make a space.
0: If there is one person that you are speaking to, one audience member that you would like to help with your school who would that one person be does somebody come to mind what does this person look like what have they experienced what is their limiting belief where are they going what is their trajectory Mm -hmm. if there's anything that comes to mind for you i would say that I'm tuning
1: in right now, the person who knows there's a creative vibration in them. They know it's ready for their attention and that that person wants to be able to trust it even if it's incredibly subtle, even if it ha- if it feels silenced in some way, that they know there's a community that will hold them in a vessel for that vibration to manifest consciously and outwardly, that's the person.
0: Thank you for tuning into our conversation. Kirsten was a program director of my MFA program at an art school where I studied filmmaking. While serving as her graduate teaching intern for a class she taught to undergraduate freshmen, one of my duties was to prepare the technology in her classroom ahead of our weekly meetings. Once, as class had ended, another instructor came in to set up for her next class. After exchanging very brief pleasantries, this instructor, whom I had never met, made a comment I didn't understand. To clarify, I asked if she was making a joke because I generally don't understand humor, to which she asked if it was an autistic thing or something else. When she said autistic, I was surprised because I had always thought the reason why I didn't understand humor was due to cultural differences between Korean and American perspectives on what was funny and what wasn't. To mask my uncomfortable laughter, I claimed that I needed to rush to my next engagement. And as I hurried out of the classroom, the unexplored possibility of me being autistic felt important. About four years later, I learned that women's brains lose a lot of gray matter during pregnancy, which is linked somehow with creativity. For the nine months I was growing a baby in my body, my brain, that majored in fine art, that sent me to film school and led me to become a photographer, designer, storyteller, no longer wanted to do anything creative. Every morning, Rather than waking up to fireworks going off in my brain excited to work on a project of the day, I woke up to a cognitive stillness that felt foreign. But instead of fumbling through words while attempting to transcribe the images and patterns I usually saw, I could think very strategically and logically about my thoughts and sequence words quickly and effectively like I could never do before. For the first time, I felt intelligent. To understand what was happening in my brain, I spent all of my pregnancy researching how my body was changing. And while Googling the exponential anxiety I had been experiencing, I came across the word neurodivergent and just by looking at that word, I could feel all of the hairs on my body stand up and I knew in my core that this was the word that could explain why I had felt so different from my peers my entire life. For the past two years, I have watched lectures, read articles, spoke to experts, had conversations with people who've known me all my life, consulted specialists in psychology, special education, occupational therapy, neuroscience, and so much more. I never again saw the instructor who had asked me if I was autistic. But if I had known then what I do now, I wouldn't have hesitated to confirm that my inability to understand neurotypical humor was indeed an autistic thing. Thank you so much for listening. If any part of this episode resonated with you, please connect with us on social media at the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to share your own education journey with us on this podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram.